This episode of the Studio Podcast is sponsored by New Wave and Chelsea Classical Studios. New Wave is a designer and producer of really awesome artist palettes and Yugo Plain Air Pochade boxes. With new products constantly on the horizon, it's run by two brothers in the Philadelphia area. Chelsea Classical Studios are archival painting supplies handmade with great patience. This episode is also brought to you by FACE, the Figurative Art Convention and Expo, happening this October in beautiful Baltimore, Maryland. All you need to know about this year is that Juliet Aristides is going to be there. Right? Enough said. Oh, and my good buddy Todd Casey is going to be there. Juliet and Todd are going to be there, and so should you. It's always a blast. Come hang out with people who are as, as obsessed with painting as you are, not to mention many of the greatest painters alive today. Check it out at figurativeartconvention.com. Hello, everybody. My name is Danny Grant. I am an artist, a drawing and painting instructor. I live in Austin, Texas, and I would like to welcome you back to the studio. This is the place where I interview and talk shop with other professional artists, and we get an inside glimpse into their daily lives as professional artists. On this episode, I get to talk with the fantastic painter and instructor, assistant director at the Academy of Realist Art Boston, Julie Beck. But first, I want to publicly offer my support for the gallery that has represented my work since 2006, Quint Cordaire Fine Art Gallery in Napa, California. Being in California, they are officially not allowed to open their doors for business during this COVID-19 outbreak. And being the heroes that they are, they defied the order from the state and local government and last week opened their doors anyway. Because of that, as we expected, scores of people immediately dropped dead from COVID-19 because they dared let people walk through their doors and look at paintings hanging on walls and sculptures on pedestals. The wise and magnificent Governor Newsom predicted it, and of course, well, of course, he was right. I mean, he is a government official. Everyone knows they're the wisest among us. Yes, Quint and Linda Cordaire opened the doors to their gallery and allowed members of the public to walk inside and look at art. Amazingly, actually, no one was harmed, but that didn't deter the local government, government from going above and beyond in protecting their citizens from these intrepid gallery owners. They did what any mob boss, I mean, local government would do. They threatened a friend and supporter of the gallery with some sort of legal action if the Cordaires did not close their doors for business. Not wanting to endanger their friend, the Cordaires closed their doors again. However, they are now open for business again by appointment only. Three cheers for Quint and Linda Cordaire, heroes standing up for their right to their lives and their livelihood against small, petty, weaselly, pathetic, nasty, smelly, dictatorial tyrants. In other news of these crazy times, I was sad to hear today that my favorite art store in Austin officially went out of business. Azel Art, they were awesome. They were small, but they always had exactly what I needed. They were the only place in Austin where I could buy Statler graphite pencils. They sold the small Richeson panels that I love, always for 50% off. I've seen the same faces there behind the counter for 15 years. Hazel, you will be missed. 
So Azel is gone, and many more art institutions are in trouble. I got an email the other day from Grand Central Atelier, in my opinion, the premier institution for atelier training. And they were seeking donations to keep them afloat through this mess. And they're no doubt not the only ones who need help right now. So if you're in a position to help out financially, please consider donating to your local atelier. If you don't have a local atelier, I recommend sending a check to Atelier Dojo here in Austin, Academy of Realist Art in Boston, or, of course, Grand Central Atelier in New York City. Okay, it is time to hear from Julie Beck. Please enjoy our conversation. All right, joining me today is an artist whose work I admire quite a bit, and I was happy to get to meet and uh, enjoyed talking with quite a bit at the last year's face conference i have with me the artist julie beck hey julie how's it going hello thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it and i um you've had a whole bunch of rock stars and of the art world on here so i'm super honored and humbled to be considered uh in a similar vein as these amazing people you've had Oh, of course. Yeah, your work is awesome. I, uh, I've become quite a fan. But thank you for being here. Yeah, I, I, I kind of felt like one of these things is not like the other. No, oh, come on. <laughs> no, definitely uh, not. No, but really, I, I really do appreciate it. And, and I've actually, literally, as I was preparing for this, I was in the middle of the Jazz Night interview you had. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that man is my new role model. Right. He, it's pretty, it's, pretty he's amazing. You know, I've always loved his work, but yeah. to listen to his his daily schedule yeah. puts mine to shame. I know, right? And like he like is voluntarily studying perspective on a daily basis. It's yeah. like, I mean, come on. Yeah, the last um, one of the last things I've I've seen from him too was he was giving free free lessons to like neighborhood kids um you know who normally wouldn't wouldn't be able to go study in it and and mm -hmm. and what a, what an incredible opportunity i hope those kids um appreciate what they're getting to be able to spend their yeah. time with somebody like that and um, yeah learn from that and, guy and i well I, well speaking to that i think one of the things that i Wish could be um, magically adjusted about kind of the, you know, running, I, I am the assistant director at the Academy of Real Estate Boston. Mm -hmm. And um, something I feel extremely passionately about is that um, keeping this type of training accessible to lots of different people. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I appreciate the fact that we offer scholarships every year and we interview people from all over the world. And, um, this type of training was life changing for me as an artist. And I had never even number one known about it growing up. Mm -hmm. I only discovered it in my thirties. And so, um, and it's also not always financially feasible for people to, you know, either study full time only. So, um, something that, you know, I feel very strongly about is making sure that we do what we can to disseminate the information, you know, knowledge is, 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 um, as a human race, knowledge is something I think that we should all have access to. And so the type of training that, um, 
was so life-changing for me. I want to make sure that's why I feel passionately about, um, helping to run the school and teaching and doing, um, either private lessons and, uh, making information available to people is it can be life-changing for anybody and it should be accessible to, um, as many people as possible. Yeah, definitely. And, and well, let's talk about, let's talk about the, the Academy of Real Estate. Um, so you're teaching there and you're the, the assistant director. Do you guys, well, what are some of the things that you're doing? Uh, you mentioned, you know, offering scholarships and, and interviewing mm-hmm. people from, from around the world. Um, do you guys offer, because that, that is one of the, the real difficult things is that this mm-hmm. this training takes a bunch of time, right? It takes it a oh, huge yes. amount of dedication, um, energy, and you have to be fully immersed and you have to be fully immersed for a, a period of time, right? I did, yeah. I did in, in, uh, with Water Street and Grand Central three and a half years, probably should have stayed longer, but you know, three and a half years at fully immersed. Um, that's pretty good. But, but you know, I didn't, I wasn't attached at the time. I wasn't married, didn't have kids. Um, mm-hmm. so, so it's doable. Um, but once you kind of, that, that seems to be the hard part is, is for, mm-hmm. people, who, for people who don't do it at that time in their life, then it's like, it's really difficult because of the uh, dedication right. it takes. So do you guys offer any like a part-time program mm-hmm. or night stuff or just stuff, stuff for people who are, who are kind of already they're in, they're in that, they're past that kind of twenties, maybe thirties part of their life where they have the time to do it. Yeah. And actually that is actually a main um, element of our, our school. Mm-hmm. So personally, um, I came to this training and I discovered it when I was, uh, I would say it was 2010 or 11. I had just moved up to Boston and I st- literally stumbled on the school mm-hmm. and I I had been struggling for like years, completely self-taught, taking continuing ed classes. Yeah. And it was like a complete nightmare. And the second I saw what was being done at an atelier. Mm-hmm. I was like, "This is this is ex- this is yeah. exactly what I was looking for." Now, this is I'm also at the time I was a full time uh, graphic designer, uh, video editor, motion graphics uh, mm-hmm. designer, working like sixty, sometimes seventy hours a week, oh still painting God. on my own in the evening, and um, I, you know, I, I was married to my husband and everything, but we still both needed to work to be able to pay our expenses sure. and to live basically. So it, I didn't have the option to go full time. Mm-hmm. And so I was strictly, I started with one class. I started with going during an evening class nice. and then I was able, it, the nice thing about being a freelancer is I could kind of push things around a bit. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, my goal was already to focus on my art, but I didn't know how. And when I found this school and that they offered part-time classes, it was a godsend to me because it, it, I was able to still learn without having to drop everything. Right. And so as, as the schools developed, now I became assistant director. I want to say around, I started teaching about two years into my, um, training there after you finish the drawing program and go into painting they sometimes consider you to start teaching the level one bark students 
Okay. So I had started teaching. I was able to accommodate, um, you know, teaching hours and then pulling back on some freelance hours. Nice. Um, but yeah. so that was, you know, and, but I still had to work. I had to be, uh, making money. So through, it took me six years to complete our program. Mm-hmm. Uh, but honestly within a couple, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know if you had this experience, but within like a term or two, I could see a huge difference uh, yeah. Yeah. in my, my capabilities. Right. And so that kept me completely motivated and excited and I didn't care how long it took to complete the program. I'm, I'm somebody who like, I'm pretty stubborn. I mm-hmm. it didn't matter how long it took. I was going to do every single one of those assignments. Um, and so it took me six years, uh, to finish the program. Yeah. And so to me as assistant director now, it's very important for me, uh, for my personal, um, philosophy is that we need to continue to offer, evening classes, part-time classes, uh, weekend classes, summer workshops. Those are so important Mm -hmm. when you have a family, when you have, when you have to work. So again, keeping, keeping the same training that a full-time student gets, it just might be that you can only come during the evenings, you know, but you can still have access to that training and education. And sometimes those people tend to be even more passionate because they're making so many sacrifices to do what they want to be doing. They're so passionate. They don't care. They've worked all day. They're going to come and they're going to work on a barg for three hours and get like a square inch of something (laughs) done. And they, they, they're willing to do it because they can see the results. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And do you find that there are, and, and based on what you just said, it sounds like there are, but do you, are there a lot more people who are like you there? Are there people who are, you know, going through the whole program and doing it over six years because they're that dedicated? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, I would <laughs> sometimes I call our school like the land of misfit toys yeah. because the variety of backgrounds, <laughs> experience levels, yeah. And personalities, ages, languages. I mean, it's, you know, we've got people from all different, you know, ranges. And, but the common underlying theme with all these people, either, even from full-time to part-time students, is um, a lot of times they've been looking, they've been looking for something like this and they d- either didn't know existed or they um, maybe they had been discouraged by other people to get technical training for one reason or another, and and they kind of when they walk in they kind of feel like oh, this I've wanted this for so long and I'm right. finally taking the plunge. And what I find is very interesting is most people feel like they need to already be kind of good. Mm-hmm. They are. They all. They. They. They ask about a portfolio that we, they need to show us or, and I always say, come in, come for a tour. Let's have a discussion. Anybody can learn this. Yeah. Yeah. And so we try to make sure that we show people the door is open. It doesn't matter if you've never drawn before. It doesn't matter if you've have a master's in painting, if you want to get better than you are right now, we can help you. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say like, I think, 
it's almost better the less experience people have <laughs> because you know i had to go through a period of unlearning right of of mm-hmm. of, of just getting rid of a bunch of um, bad habits yeah bad habits you know and having yeah. um and it still took you know even being immersed it still took a little while to stop doing <laughs> things oh yeah uh, well i also a had way, a, you know? i also have a a slight issue with authority when people tell me (laughs) that I have to do something I I usually try to (laughs) fight back so it was also partially fighting my own personality throughout the whole way of this this doesn't sound like it's going to make sense and then I will do it my way and it'll fail and then I'll reluctantly try it (laughs) the other way and realize okay now this makes sense yeah yeah, I was I was willing to I think I was willing to sort of submit be like, OK, I've what I've been doing over these years is I could clearly see that I was sort of hitting a wall and it wasn't mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know what to do next. And I clearly wasn't getting to where, you know, other people whose work I admired yep. was. And so I was and this I showed up there and looked around. And I was like, you know you have that moment where you see someone yeah. who's been there two, three years and, and you're just in awe. And so I was like, okay, whatever this is, give it to me. Just like, <laughs> I'll take it, man. Just you tell me what to yeah. do and I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah. I mean, incredible to just get into a situation like that and, and just know that if you follow the process, to me, that's mm-hmm. what it, what was so incredible is, is, and what was so valuable was just learning a process and getting good at that process and doing mm-hmm. that over and over and over time, you just get better at each step of the process and it, and you see how and, it And what I also love about stuff. it is the, the fact that you can consistently have a good Mm-hmm. You know how you got there. And right. it's, it's to me, I, I do feel like atelier training is actually much more science and math based hmm. that there's a logic to why things are working and you have a way to repeat that outcome. Yes. And so often, you know, we talk about like happy accidents, which yes, you can come across happy accidents, but if you don't have an underlying understanding as to why the paint did that or mm-hmm. how you can recreate it, or what you can do to get there again. Is it, you know, is it yeah. really that helpful? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that whole, that whole, like, being intrigued by the happy accident thing completely disappeared for me. Like, that that yeah. thing as a concept is just, like, kind of foreign to me. Now but I think happy, uh, happy accidents, I think, are more um, likely to happen when you're building it on a, a solid foundation of a jumping off point. Yeah, I agree. So, so I'm, off, I'm always exper- I'm always experimenting. I'm always trying new things, but it comes from a place of knowledge and it comes from a place of, I know what to expect when this happens, but mm-hmm. maybe let's try something different, see what result I get and see if it works for what I'm doing. You know, so right. the happy accidents will come more often, I, in my opinion, in the way that I've experienced it, is happy accidents tend to come when you're prepared for them. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And it's not just literally throwing random stuff around. Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great way to put it, and a good um, good way to think about it. Right. I guess the 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 normal connotation of a happy accident comes from not understanding the materials you're working with or <laughs> something like that. You know. Right. Um, right. Well, let's back let's back up a little bit. You mentioned um, thinking about atelier training as sort of a logical, um, mm-hmm. you know, being connected to kind of math. So I thought it was interesting that you um, have a degree in math and not just a degree in math, but you were valedictorian um, yeah. when you received that degree. So how tell us a little bit about how you went from uh, getting a math degree to finding your way in a probably a, a, a long trip uh but but um i don't know i'm interested in in um in that connection for you yeah it's actually not that long of a trip uh when <laughs> so you know okay we'll we'll take a long trip back to like high school um okay. i was not the art kid in high school mm-hmm. um i was not i would say I would range in the mediocre ability in most of my classes <laughs> yeah. in, in, in terms of art classes. I was, you know, yeah. really good at calculus. <laughs> wow. Um, but I also think the way that the art classes were structured wasn't really conducive to inspiring me in many ways. I, I specifically remember that one assignment where they show you grid drawing mm-hmm. and I was so psyched with my drawing (laughs) because when you do a grid drawing it's really hard to screw screw it up really badly so I was like this is the great I just remember being so excited about it but then like the next day we're on to like pointillism and the next day we're on to like a bunch of other stuff so it was I do look back and remember that that one specific drawing Mm -hmm. uh but Mm -hmm. you know going through um like growing up through high school and everything, I come from a pretty blue collar family. You're, you get a job, you go to college. If you're lucky, you go, you get a job and you got to pay the bills. Like you have to survive. That's, that's the, you know, nobody around me was doing art. Art was not a part of our daily lives. I probably never went to an art museum Yeah. and it, you know, it was came time for high school. Where are you going to go to college? That type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to my mom, I want to go to school for art. And she is a financial planner. And she said, <laughs> you should probably try. Maybe art should be a hobby. And yeah. I was so upset. Yeah. Because I was like, you don't have any faith in me, mom. But now I look back and my work, my artwork was horrible. Like, there's no way that I would have gotten into art school. So I look back now and she was absolutely right. That's interesting. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. I mean, who who would know? But it'd be interesting to see how things would have gone differently if you had gone to art school at that time. And and um, who knows? But it's a. I mean, who knows? But like the art school, like typical art universities that I probably would have looked at that I could have gone into. You know, yeah. I don't know what I would have been doing. And right, right. So no, I ended up. You know, I love. Uh, I loved calculus. I know that sounds very strange, but there was something really amazing to me and beautiful about how there's a set of rules. And if you understand Mm -hmm. them, you can solve things, you can test things. It was just this really beautiful mechanics of numbers and formulas. And I just, 
it made sense to me. Yeah. So, and then, and then I was into like AP physics and I had a teacher who is a, it challenged us in very creative ways. So his projects weren't just solve this physics problem. It was, you know, design this, design a roller coaster that has these stipulations, but the sky's the limit everywhere else. So I wow. started feeling this, um, I didn't even probably couldn't have verbalized it then, but there was an element of, you know, in chemistry class, one of my favorite assignments was here, it was called like the sludge experiment where you had a bunch of stuff and you had to figure out, out what was in the concoction. And so you'd use all these um, tests to find out what was in here. How would you do that? How would you distill it? What happens if you heat it? And it was kind of these, these again, set rules that you could be looking for to create, uh, to find information yeah. about what you were working with. And it was, it was the mechanics of how things work, right? So to me, that was so fascinating. And then I ended up going to school for engineering and ended up with a math degree in all yeah. those reasons. Um, also taking art classes, but they were always like, you know, the same guy taught every single art class type of school. <laughs> yeah. And so where I am now and where I get into technical training, all of a sudden I see how yeah. what we do in, in technical training for art is an understanding of the world around us. Yeah, what, absolutely. what physically makes this material look like this? Mm -hmm. What is the physical nature of this space? What it, what are the physics of light? And so to me, that was, you know, I went through college, I got, a, uh, you know, my math degree, didn't want to do anything with it. <laughs> yeah. What, what and just, would be the options or what, what were the, well, like I, well, the options I had right out of college were, my, uh, my parents are very good to me. They, they worked at a company and they said, listen, we have two internship possibilities for you. Yeah. You could go to the actuarial department, which sounds as exciting as <laughs> this, <laughs> or there's also a internship at the creative services department. Oh, wow. And so I said, well, that's not really a difficult decision. Right. And so that's in the creative services department. I started out by actually sewing outfits for a stuffed Snoopy doll and that they would send <laughs> out to agents all over <laughs> the country. So while I was there, I ended up learning graphic design, learning motion graphics and video editing. So for the next 10 years, that's what I ended up doing for nice. career for Ten yeah. years, but you know, stumbling onto ARA Boston was life changing because it finally showed me that it's possible mm -hmm. that it was possible to become and learn how to draw and paint well enough to be a professional artist. Yeah. So that was where I realized that there was a possibility open for that. So, what were some of the experiences you were having? along the way as far as you know being a designer working in that job but then you're you're still painting right you're kind of painting mm -hmm. on the side and taking classes and things like that yeah i um i won't name the schools but i was <laughs> taking some ce classes at a, at a very well known art school mm -hmm. and like a private art school or like a university no i i i think it's a private art school it's a very <laughs> big name art school okay and <laughs> I don't want to, I, I hate to bash. What state um, is it in? Uh, just kidding, just Rhode kidding, Island. Just oh, okay. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> I think you gave it away. That's all right. Um, I mean, okay. It wasn't like their main program, right? It's adult classes. Yeah, and yeah. so, I, you know, I would, I would save up money to take art classes and I'd go in and, I, you know, I'd be painting on my own, painting on my own mm-hmm. and hitting a wall, hitting a wall. And I finally saved up money to go to one of these classes. And it was like, I don't know, like 500 bucks or something, which at the time for me was like a stupid amount of money. Oh, yeah, of course. And so I, <laughs> so I saved up and it's <laughs> like, all right, I'm going to take an oil painting class. I'm finally going to learn how to paint. Yeah. And I go in, they basically just tell you to buy the supplies huge and then go supplies. paint something. Yeah. Huge list of supplies. They don't tell you how to use them. Right. Go paint something. Right. I painted something and I brought it in and I know it looked like crap. Like mm. it, it, you could tell what the things were. Let's <laughs> at least I could do that. Right. But I, I didn't know why it didn't look like the paintings in a museum. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I would tell the teacher, okay, what's wrong with this? And they would just say, it looks great. Nice job. Yeah. So it felt like a, like a little bit more leaning towards, you know, like enthusiasm and validation and making you feel good about what you're doing. But I wanted information. Yeah. You could tell it wasn't, it wasn't where you wanted to be. yeah. 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 And so I just basically, I ended up breaking down and just saying, screw it with oils. And I moved to acrylics for like eight years. Oh, wow. I mean, there are some people who can do amazing things with acrylics, but I could only get to a certain level. I was just, you know, hitting, again, hitting a wall, mm-hmm. not knowing why. I had no concept of value. I had no concept of transitions. Mm-hmm. I, had no, I had no underlying concepts of like, why does the thing you're looking at, why does it look that way? Yeah. In a under, basic understanding of form. I just, that was not even on my radar. Yeah, it's amazing looking back. Um, I painted in acrylics for a long time too. And the only thing, <laughs> the only way I could think of to sort of get things to look, uh, to kind of have smooth transitions and was this sort of, this sort of dry brushing areas into one another. Like mm-hmm. it didn't dawn on me that I could, that I could mix that next step, you know, that yeah. next, that next value, <laughs> that next <laughs> <laughs> and just put that stroke down and then and if yeah. I did that really well I could get those smooth transitions but um yeah anyway so what kind of things were you painting at that time was it was it like were you interested in the same thing were you doing still lifes and uh well I I so it was funny that because I always had the question everybody asked like well why do you paint realistically and mm-hmm. I always tell the story that one of the classes I took at this at the school was an abstract painting class because I wasn't sure I was, you know, in my twenties, I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to be doing. Mm -hmm. And it was the only class I'd never, I didn't do good in because I kept getting yelled at for trying to make (laughs) things look like things. And so I think after I did horribly in that class, because I couldn't stop making things look like things. Right. So what is like, like, how do they teach that (laughs) class? I've always been fascinated by having like, an. is it just about color and and composition? Like, are those the main, like, um, I don't, obviously I didn't do. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, that's a tree. That's obviously a tree. Yeah. (laughs) Stop it. 
so I mean, after that, like I, I mostly focused on, and I don't know if you had this similar situation where I really only felt capable of even painting. I barely even felt capable of painting simple things. Hmm. And so the concept of like, I would, you know, put a mug in from in front of me and try to paint it and it would, hmm. it would be wonky and, and okay. But the concept of doing like a very complex creative piece that is, you know, a, you know, this, a really big elaborate thing was not even, a, it's not even on my radar because I can barely even paint this mug right in front of me. Right. So right. that's, I just stuck to very simple still lives or I also had like a series where I was taking old photos from like flea markets and interpreting them kind of in color it, it, on, yeah. you know, in a kind of surreal way. Yeah, sure. So, and, and I did that for a while and I did, uh, I actually, I sold an Etsy for a while. That was the start of my art career oh, was, cool. selling on, <laughs> was selling on yeah. Etsy yeah, that's and cool. that was cool. Cause people bought my work, Nice, you know? So there was, it was kind of, it was an encouraging thing. I met a lot of really interesting people. Yeah. Um, some people that are actually really great artists now who we've kind of grown together and, um, and that, and I did that for a while where I'd be working 60, 70 hours a, a week and then I'd come home and, sh you know, ship out 12 little tiny paintings off Etsy that I sold for like 50 bucks. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. So just simple, like really small, simple stuff, but I just never felt even capable of doing anything cool or anything interesting or complex or like a portrait. Oh my God, that I couldn't even think of doing that. Yeah. I can't even get an apple right. How am I supposed to do a face? <laughs> yeah, it, it's amazing how it's amazing how you can go to a lot of school, take a lot of classes, and just still not really know anything as far as art goes. That's just, and it's still the case. I think there's just still so much out there, and it's mind-boggling to me. Um, but anyway, that's a that's a. That's a different rant, yeah. but, um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, the more, the, and when, and, uh, and you know, the more you actually do know now I've been now painting, I would say I'm now like an educated painter, yeah. uh, you know, since I finished, I finished the program in 2016, I want to say, but even like, even at that point, even now, I, I still feel like such a noob Yeah, in a way. That I'm like, there's, there's just so much, this is still such a struggle for me in many ways. I'm still trying to figure out who I am, what I want to say, how I want to paint it. But at least I have like a baseline of, I'm proud of my work. Yeah, that's a great, yeah, great, great point. Because I feel the same, at least, yeah, the, the rest of it is still, and it's, it's fun. I think that that's what's so much fun about or one of the things I think that's so much fun about this is that is that continual discovery of what what do I want to paint what do what am I excited about and then you know what do I want to make a painting about and 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 what's coming in the future what paintings will I make but those are all sort of open questions to a degree but at least yeah at least um we've come to a point where we're make, making work that we feel good, like the quality of it feels yes. good, right? Absolutely. 
that's and that's I mean that's exactly what I wanted to get. Uh, no one can tell you. There's no school can can I don't think really help you with what you want to paint. I mean maybe they'll help you think about that or something, but but that's the work you got to do on your own. But but I think yeah um, the thing that's great about this atelier training is the fact that you learn how to make high quality work yeah absolutely uh, and i just you know and and it's a and i you know i'm sure a lot of people listening are you know you might have experience with ateliers ateliers and, and are familiar with the fact that it's it's this it's not about teaching you what good art is. It's about giving you a toolbox to make good art with. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, I just feel like knowledge and technical skills are power. And so many people who I talk with who maybe are just being introduced to this, you know, it does feel empowering to finally have somebody tell you that we can, that you can be taught these things and that you can, so for me it was, it was, you know, I had all these really complex emotions and complex narratives I wanted to talk about and make. And, and, and I had these grand, I have grand things I'd like to say with my work, Mm -hmm. but if you feel like you just struggle with just getting the paint on the canvas, you aren't given the vocabulary to say those things. Right. And so to me, it finally felt like I was given the the door. Fi- it was finally open for me to walk through. And now you have all these possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's I want to go to today. What things look like for you today? Well, let's back up <laughs> maybe a month before t- <laughs> a month before today. Um, OK. When when things were normal in the old days, yeah. What um, so, so you're teaching teaching at the Academy of Real Estate and making mm-hmm. your paintings. What what does a typical day look like for you at that point? Uh, well, I guess it depends on what day it is. So okay. pre pre pandemic, right? <laughs> um, uh, so I kind of you know on Mondays is I'm completely assistant director. So I'm booking models, I'm making sure the checks get written, I make sure the registration's happening, I'm making sure notices are going out about workshops, I'm mm-hmm. scheduling workshops. So wow. what I, I tried to compartmentalize days because I, um, I tend to yeah. need a full day to feel productive painting. So I like to compartmentalize the, the, uh, kind of admin aspect of assistant director to Mondays. So that's when I'm just like everything spreadsheets, everything. Wow. (laughs) I'm assistant. uh, My hat is assistant director, Julie. So much. That is so much. Okay. Wow. It's a lot. I mean, that doesn't mean I'm not answering emails every other day and at 11 o'clock at night, it doesn't mean I'm not doing other things, but most of the work can get done on a Monday all day. Okay. Um, then Tuesday is usually a studio day. That's where I will. So I'm very fortunate that the Academy gives our instructors studio space at the school. So I have, you know, it's not huge, but it's a room. I, before, before that I only had like a, you know, a four by 10 
section at the school to be painting in. Yeah. So my studio is on the fourth floor. And so it's about, I'd say 12 by 14 room with high ceilings. Cool. And so I usually have like two or three still life setups going at any given time, mm-hmm. maybe a couple portraits, but Tuesday is totally a studio day. Nice. Um, that doesn't mean students don't pop in and ask questions and have issues, but um, yeah. mostly stay focused. Wednesdays, I teach all day from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. I'm wow. teaching our main program during um, the morning and afternoon. And then recently, I've been teaching uh, indirect painting in the evenings. So that, again, compartmentalizing all day teaching I don't have to be stressed that I'm not painting. I'm just teaching the whole day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Thursday, Friday are usually studio days, you know, if I'm lucky. Cool. <laughs> um, so those are, um, that's us- a normal normal day. But, you know, assistant director stuff's usually peppered throughout most days, sure, even into the sure. weekends. Um, and then sometimes I'll, you know, fill in to teach for people on other days. But that's the usual schedule for for me. Nice. Um, gosh, that's such a huge job being assistant director on top of. It um, is. <laughs> really, um, it's it's yeah. not bad. It's actually the mo- the majority of the work for for that position. It's you know the social media stuff. It's marketing. It's newsletters. Mm-hmm. Um, it's most. I usually have to dedicate two full days, if mm-hmm. it's the beginning of a semester or the end of a semester. Okay. So right in the middle of a semester, it's everything pretty much runs itself for the most part, unless I'm gearing up for, you know, workshops and stuff. But, you know, two days, two full days a week can be, can be dedicated if it's a busy week. Sure. Sure. And how much, what kind of a staff do you guys there? How many, how many instructors, how many do you have help doing any of the administrative (laughs) stuff or? Uh, sort of. So we have, let's see, one, two, three, we have, um, Four four main instructors. So there's me. There's Eric Johnson, Garrett Batanza, and Emmy Demusis. Um, uh, so they each teach about three, two or three days a week, kind of off and on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have two student instructors, um, Nadine and John. And then I have I do have somebody who helps me around the school. So Antonio was our scholarship student um, last year. And, um, he's a rock star student, man. He's blowing through this program. It's wonderful to see. And he's just really, really wonderful person. But, um, he, you know, he's become, uh, like the admin assistant where he kind of helps around the school. So he'll do stuff that I used to do, like putting the dishes away, making sure all the, um, the kind of hand towels are, are switched out every couple of days Um, just making sure the school physically is like clean at all times. I'm very, it's very important to me that we are presentable when people walk in. I want, I want it to look very professional. So I don't want like paper and pencil shavings all over the place. So he (laughs) makes sure that things are kind of up to my standards and that things are organized and put away. and, And, uh, so yeah, so I do have some help in terms of the physical upkeep of the school. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. So you said your, your studio is on the fourth floor. So how big is the, how big is this building or, or the, the, the school area? It's, um, it's, so we're in, uh, downtown Boston, which is 
not a cheap place to be. Yeah. But we are three floors in a six floor building. Okay. And it's it's like an it's a brick building in the leather district, so where it's a very thin space, but it's a very long space, which oh, is great. For, it's a great for cast halls. So yeah. everyone working site size is kind of lined up next to each other, oh, which is yeah. nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so we have our our second floor is where people work on the barg drawings, and and it's also our figure room. Mm -hmm. We can usually fit about fifteen students around the the model, and then the third floor is part time cast hall, and then the fourth floor is full time stations and um, three or actually four instructor studios. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, so it's nice. It's it's nice to have. Um, I, I recently moved apartments, so I used to have an extra bedroom uh, to have studios, like to at home to have a easel right. in. But, right. you know, we 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 uh, we moved to Cambridge, which is a little bit pricier. So we uh -huh. are in a one bedroom now. So okay. um, we didn't we don't normally have space for an easel at right. my apartment. <laughs> so it's nice to have the studio at school. Yeah. So all painting is taking for you is taking place at the at the school now. huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's great, too, because the high ceilings allow me to really have complete control over my lighting. Yeah, I that's great. I have tons of options. I'm not limited to, you know, I can, I don't have north facing windows, but they're kind of westish. So I have used the natural light every so often for yeah. shorter projects. But yeah, okay. it's a nice space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Boston, um, I mentioned before we started recording, is a place that I've actually never been to and I want to go to. But, um, yeah, it sounds uh, – I think of everything in the Northeast as being expensive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how is it for students who – do you get a lot of students – you must, but do you get a lot of students who move there, move to Boston to come to school there uh, in particular? Uh, we have a, we've had a few move. Okay. Um, especially scholarship students. Uh, we do have people who like come from Maine every day and oh, which is to, which is amazing to me. And we yeah. actually also have a student who flies in from Washington DC every week, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. which is amazing. But you know what, you know, you know he's, he's, he, <laughs> he does work for the government. <laughs> um, he, so it's just so funny because he, he toured a lot of schools and, something that I always tell people when they come to, to our school is you want to find a community that feels right for you because every school, we all kind of teach similar concepts, Yeah. but you really want to find what works for you. And so I think it, I do think it's important that students check out a few different schools and see which one feels like it would be a good fit for them because he did tour a bunch of schools and he felt most at home with us and he enjoyed even just our basic interview when we started talking, you know, technical stuff, mm -hmm. he could tell we knew what we were talking about and he, he felt very comfortable. And so he's making the effort to come up. He, he come, I believe he flies in Thursdays and then leaves on a Sunday and, uh, he's doing a great, doing a great job. But yeah, we wow. do have a, we have a lot of people coming in from kind of far distances, but we okay. have had people who, who've moved closer uh, to be near us. So, yeah. So you have a lot of commuters, I guess basically. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that's, you know, on top of, um, on top of the, just the, the time dedication and everything for, for, for studying this, you know, I, I went to New York and it was just difficult, you know, 
Oh yeah. <laughs> it's just difficult <laughs> to live there and and spend that much time in school. And mm-hmm. I imagine Boston is is a lot the same for that for someone mm-hmm. who who doesn't have a, a bunch of money backing them up and just wants to kind of come and, and immerse themselves in this. Are there areas of the town that, that are more doable, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing about the school is we're, we're two blocks from South Station, which is one of the biggest transportation hubs in the city. Mm-hmm. So we have people who live up near Salem and commute down via, via the commuter rail. We have people who live near the Cape. We have people who live uh, in Western Mass. And so we have commuter rails, buses, ferries, literally people come in via the ferry. And so it, it's convenient. The location we have while it is, um, you know, it's, you know, downtown Boston is quite expensive, but we do are, we're able to give access because of being so close to a major transportation hub like that. It's not like we're in the middle of nowhere where it's hard to get to. Right. Nice. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about now in this pandemic world how things have changed for the school, for you personally. What are you guys doing to um, to kind of keep things going and and deal with all of this? It's uh, it's <laughs> it's, not it's very stressful. Yeah, um, yeah. So I actually have found that my work has almost doubled. Yeah. Be, yeah. my my admin work has has almost doubled because as a school previous to this we we weren't heavy on online we would do social media we would uh, post things every so often we had videos on our YouTube channel that were specific to things that our students constantly needed you know like how to tone a canvas so we'd make a how to tone a canvas video and you know just just easy reference stuff like how to sharpen a pencil stuff that we can send out to students who are just going to start with us that's so it was sorry I just wanted to comment on that because that it seems like simple stuff but that's actually a great idea and I don't probably not a lot of people aren't are are doing that but I think well you know what's great about that is it's we have it's kind of that repetitive information that yeah. is really easy to get across in a video that it's really actually uh, cut down on our orientation time where we say the first day of class, you have to watch these videos before you come to class. It's how to sharpen a pencil. It's awesome. What yeah. are, what our basic supplies look like? And it's been really, really beneficial because we don't spend three hours the first day that they're in class trying to get them to figure out how to sharpen a pencil, Yeah, you know? So, um, and stuff like sharpen or stuff like toning a canvas or stretching a canvas, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of repeatable stuff that people, as they go through the program, if they forget how to to do it, they can go back and reference that even if we show them in person. So, um, it's been really beneficial and I, you know, it, they're quick and easy and we can do so much with just our iPhones to record. Yeah. So I've been try- so normally we just produce stuff kind of on demand and put stuff up that was just made our lives easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As instructors. So yeah. before all this, most of our online stuff was about making our lives <laughs> easier. Um, so yeah. after this yeah. whole pandemic thing, 
my, um, I am very fortunate that I have a video editing and motion graphics and graphic design background Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden we need to generate a bunch of content. Yeah. So our plan as a school, uh, we're still evolving it. Our, our intention at this point is not to make our instruction completely online. We, we still believe that in person and one-on-one training is really the ideal way to teach this. You know, our student work is something that gets us att- our student work is of a very high quality. And we've heard yeah. it over and over again. Why why did you contact us? Why are you interested in us? It's because the student work, the student work. Yeah. And the student work is really a result of this one-on-one training. Mm-hmm. Not to say that there aren't people who can get to that degree working online, but it's a lot more difficult for everybody involved. Yeah. Yeah. So we have decided that instead of trying to rush and put a bunch of online instruction out there, mm-hmm. we'd rather try to be a resource for people. And so the videos we do make are going to be like how we set up our drawings, how you can set up for a site size, you know, a, a physical tour of our space. Okay. Just to give just to give information out that we can easily do mm-hmm. in a video format. Um, and um, I, I well, I'm actually going to be doing a webinar next week of um, intro to Photoshop for artists. So oh, super, super easy to teach online. It's very efficient to do online. It's a really basic skill that um, a lot of artists maybe want to try out and it's mm-hmm. like, you know, 20 bucks and every I'm a hundred percent is going to go to the school because I want to make sure the school can survive this. So nice. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, we're, we want to be a resource for people and we want to try to create content that is engaging for people and is informative for people. Um, but for the most part, we're, uh, you know, just trying to stay engaged with people. We'll, um, we'll try to do one-on-ones with current students online if they have, if they're working on something at home and we'll give a critique. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've actually delayed the start to our spring term, hopefully to May 4th. That's when, um, the mayor of Boston has said that businesses can open again, but again, who knows really? if that's the case. Yeah. So May 4th is our projected start date. And if that happens, we can still have a 12 week term without running into workshops. So fingers so crossed. Guys, yeah, that would be incredible. Um, yeah. Are you guys like on a break right now, but with your regular program or, I mean, yeah, I we mean were, like a, yeah. a, 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 an already scheduled break. I mean, yeah, we were, we were um, somewhat fortunate in that our, our winter term was supposed to end at the end of March. And so we stopped classes two weeks early Okay. Um, we did have a model who thought that she may have been exposed to somebody who had tested positive. So we just immediately said, we're not going to take the risk. Um, she had, it ended up not being a thing, but, um, we closed classes for the rest of the term and just said, okay, we're going to try to make them up in the summer. We're not sure if that's going to happen, but, uh, we're going to, cause again, nobody knows what the heck is going on. Yeah. So we were fortunate that we were going to have a spring break the first week of April anyways. Nice. And so we're, we're just pushing the whole semester forward 
Um, if we have to go past May 4th, we might have to have a truncated term, but, okay. uh, for the most part, we're, we're hoping that, that, um, things can get back to somewhat normal next month, but we'll see. Oh my God. That would be incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it would. Cause I, well, I, I can't. So the other difference is that my studio is at the school. Yeah. Right. Oh and my gosh. You must be so this crazy. is really a little bit. Yeah. Um, so there's nobody at the school. I can still go in right. because there's nobody there. Yeah. So, but the problem is, is they're still charging for parking downtown. Ugh. So I would have to take the T in, which I am not going to do right now. Mm-hmm. So I only go in on Sundays because I have a self-portrait going at the school. Mm-hmm. So I only go in on Sundays when I can drive in and I don't have to pay for parking. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you guys, so what happens if, if, so basically you're going, it sounds like you're going to kind of wait for things to just, but what if things don't go back to normal? What if, what if we're in this until August or something? What, what's the plan then for, for your current students? We're going to cross that bridge when we go. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, um, I don't know. Yeah, we we haven't really discussed that as in depth. Um, it may be that we have to either have a truncated spring term, which is actually more of a summer term. If we don't end up being able to have a spring term, we might just go into the fall term mm-hmm. and just start as the fall term, and then basically all the tuition would just push over to the to the fall. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean that's again, crossing that bridge when we come to it, I'm hoping that that won't be the case, but, um, who knows? It's all new. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, so we're doing stuff here at the, um, Atelier Dojo in in Austin. We're doing stuff on zoom like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And it is obviously not ideal, but, for the most part, I think the the feedback from people who are participating in classes and and open studios mm-hmm. um, has been pretty positive. And I think part of it is is just is having having that community still. You know, mm-hmm. your life is completely um, interrupted, but people it's still fun to hang out, even if it's online and and draw and yeah. paint with people. So that's been we've kind of been able to keep things going to a certain extent uh that way it's certainly weird i mean i'm i'm teaching a figure drawing class uh on zoom which is bizarre but um yeah but it's happening and it's working and and uh you know i'm having people photograph their stuff and send me the mm-hmm. jpegs and 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 i'll you know do if people want i'll do um, do some notes on them in Photoshop and, and send them back to them or, or just write an email with, you know, kind of critiques and stuff. So it's, it's doable. It's obviously not, um, yeah, it's not yeah. anywhere near, um, what the, the way this should be done, but, but we found a lot of people who, who are, who are, who want to do that rather than, rather than kind then, of, yeah, that rather than nothing, the, the weighted out. So, um, that's what we're doing, but. I think yeah. we might tr- we might try something. Um, if so, depending on you know if it is extended, uh, I think the difficulty is that we know that we we know it's definitely doable for people for bar drawings. 
right. you know, right. doing to, to either pick up what they were working on or start when at home. And we do have students who have started things, uh, yeah. at home. Yeah. And so we've been doing some email and zoom, uh, one-on-one critiques and, oh, oh. and they have been, you know, they have been going well. Right. Uh, but our, our, I think my biggest, um, challenges is the way we normally run our program. We've got bar drawing, cast drawing, and then figure drawing and painting and everything is that anybody who's working from their project from life can't yeah. go in and work on their project. So then it becomes the whole, you know, um, you know, we, we have communicated to people via the newsletters that this would be a great time to be doing figure homework. <laughs> and so, yeah. We're sending them all the resources on where they can, how they can get their projects printed and that we can check them via, um, and we are, we're considering doing like class hours. So how do you guys format like the open? So you said you guys have like an open studio. Is that where people just kind of work on whatever they're working on and then check in with you? Or how do you guys do that? Oh, there, no, the, uh, um, so what we were doing before pre pandemic, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the open studio is just. Um, for people who are members or, or some of them are members only, but some of them are just open to the public. Um, we just, you know, just having a model session that's, that's open. Mm, okay. Right. Um, and so now we're doing that, uh, through zoom. So we're putting a camera, um, putting a camera on the model and, mm-hmm. um, and people, you know, share, sharing that, or, or I guess that's the, the, um, whatever the main screen on zoom and people are just, you know, drawing from their, from their monitors. Yeah. Um, well actually speaking of which do you, so my, my, my biggest transition right now has been my, my personal work. I've shoved an easel into my living room, mm -hmm. but I can't work from life here. So I, my, my biggest transition has been working from the screen and working from photograph reference um, so everything at home is complete. Everything I'm working at here is so different than I normally like to work. Have you had to adjust yeah. your, uh, what you work from because of this? Well, not me personally, because I've, I've got, I've got a small garage, uh, studio here at home. Um, so I'm still doing my, you know, my regular, uh, still oh, stuff from life, but but yeah, I mean, it, you know, teaching uh, figure drawing from a screen is um, pretty strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so are you, because you, you, do you guys use like comparative measurement? Like how do you guys normally uh, teach yeah, figure I mean, drawing? Right. Yeah. I teach comparative measuring. Mm -hmm. um, and so, <laughs> yeah. So, so. But you're like, at least, at least, you know, you're looking at the same thing they are. Well, that, that is actually kind of cool that now everyone has the same vantage point, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, That's true. So that does make communication in this, um, you know, in this new way, it does make that easier. I can talk to everybody and talk about, well, okay, we all know the midpoint is here, right? And um, so working off of that, you know, it can, mm -hmm. you can, instead of going from person to person around the room and talking about their particular uh, view and, and everything, we can talk about the view that everyone is. The seeing, view. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I have, um, yeah, I have broken my, <coughs> excuse me, um, 
my wooden skewer in half so that I can now measure on a laptop uh, <laughs> screen. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That's where, that's where we're at today. Um, <laughs> that's, that's how far we've fallen here. Well, I mean, um, it's, it, I mean, it, it, it's, there's something to be said for being, <laughs> there's something to be said for being forced out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Well, it's definitely um, that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had to, the projects that I'm currently working on at home are all those things that I said, oh, that's a great idea. I'll do that at some point. Cause <laughs> my comfort yeah. zone is working from life, doing right. my still lives, working mm -hmm. from, you know, so that's my comfort zone. So every time I look at these other smaller projects, I get a little freaked out and then go back to what I'm used to. And so this is really, um, it's uncomfortable in, in both a negative and positive way. It's uncomfortable because I don't have an, another choice, but it's also uncomfortable in a good way in terms of I now have to solve problems that I normally wouldn't be forced to. And I have to work from a screen for some things. And it's just a totally different translation. And I have to work from photographic reference, which is, yeah. you know, not the way I totally want it to be. So I'm hoping that I think what can come of this is, you know, one of my favorite books of all time is this book. It's called Free Play improvisation in life and art. And it's written by a musician who plays improvised concerts. And one of his, one of his, um, chapters is focused on the power of limitations and creativity with limitations. Mm -hmm. And so here we are with a really obnoxious limitation, but yeah. you might find that a new idea or a new way of working or a new concept can come of something so bizarre. Yeah, sure. And, and, um, you know, in some ways I think it's, it's can be, can kind of give you the freedom to do some of those things. Maybe, you know, some certain ideas you've had that didn't quite fit in with, with the rest of the way you work or something. Uh, I think you sort of, now you're kind of forced into it. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of, um, some figure work that i would like to do and it's like well yeah i want to do all this stuff from life um and so i've 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 that sort of held me back from getting started on some of this mm -hmm. stuff because uh, i want to do it from life but then i'm like uh, i can't um <clears throat> i don't want to you know it's just scheduling the time and then paying for the models and all that and yeah like, well all right, I can't do that from life now. Maybe I'll just do <laughs> now. You don't have a choice. I, just start it. Yeah, let's just get it going. Like I know enough about uh, form. I can I can do this from photo. It'll be fine. And um, then you could always like finish it from life if if things by then. That's a good point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's I I. That's actually how I actually I actually prefer to do when I do my portraits. Yeah. Um, my portraits and figures. I don't really do that many figures or portraits, but when I do, yeah. I actually, I take a buttload of pictures and I Photoshop what I want out of all those reference photos. Okay. But then I do a color study from life mm. that helps. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I'll, I finish it with the person in front of me if I can, sometimes yeah. that's not feasible, but like I would finish it from life and it's, 
it makes, to me, it's a really awesome process because when you're working from image reference, the, yeah. they don't move. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's what much, I want anyways. So how, so how much of the work is done? So you're taking the photos and then you're, um, you're, you're putting your composition together, like in Photoshop. Mm -hmm. like, okay. And then, yeah, like I'll take a head I like, and then I'll, Photoshop that head onto the body I like and like it's usually all the same person right and I like her hand here I like her face here and I'll photo I'll they call it photo bashing right I'll put all that together and then I'll even uh manipulate background stuff if I feel like I want to change anything about it and then I basically have an image reference of the overall composition that I want and um I'll usually print it out life-size like actual size. Oh, cool. So that way I have something to reference when I'm just doing my first or first and second pass just to get the stuff down and in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to me, that's just the easiest way to work. And then if I can, like I've done this with a couple portraits where I'll have the model come in and I'll finish adjusting values, making sure the form's working, making sure that different effects are happening textural work like all the finishing stuff is done with the live model nice yeah and so so you say you do the color studies sorry i'm just trying to get the the whole process down um yeah. <clears throat> so the so you do the photos put together composition and then mm -hmm. you do then you do color studies from life and then yeah if i can i mean that's yeah. not always feasible okay. but like the, right. the last portrait i did i went and did a whole photo shoot with them, got a bunch of stuff, ended up, you know, photoshopping everything, went back, did one session where I just did a really quick value stu color study because okay. I needed to get, I really, cause it was natural light. I wanted to make sure I had the right, yeah. uh, temperatures on his skin and the value relationships to the different arms. Cause like one was behind and one was in front. Mm -hmm. And then I used that to inform me while I was doing the first couple passes, um, using the image reference. Okay, cool. And it's amazing how different they are. It is people who you don't even know until you like you set it in front of people, how different your eyes perceive things mm -hmm. versus a camera. Right. It's just so, so different. And you can get so much more information, even just out of a values, a color study. Oh yeah, it's inc it's it's um yeah doing this doing this class this figure drawing class um through Zoom is like <clears throat> there there's a definitely an element of frustration because it's like oh I can't see what's happening there I know I'd be able to see that in life there's yeah um <clears throat> yeah yeah the, you know photo the 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 whole photo debate is kind of um. It's kind of silly because it's obvious how how superior working from life is. So obviously you would want to work uh, from life, but you know it's just not feasible in, in a lot of situations. And yeah. now now is a good uh, <laughs> um, uh, good illustration. <laughs> of that. Yeah. Um, well, and it's I actually think it's so much easier. I think it's so much easier to work from life. I, it's, I, I do too. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I've heard it backwards before right. where people say, right. Oh, it, you know, you're cheating if you're working from a photograph, which I think is complete baloney. Oh. Um, but if, you know, 
if you know what to look for, you can make working from photographs be, look amazing. Right. Um, but it is so much more difficult. It's, I think it's more difficult to get a really good result from photograph from just working photographs. I think it's so much harder because you don't have all the information there. To right. me, I think working right. from life is like, it's harder to, I think, learn to work from life. But once you have worked from life and you're comfortable with it, it's so much easier because you it's all right there in front of you. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, you're not having to do the interpretation game of, yeah, uh, you know, that you have to go through with the photo for sure. Yeah, I've, and now I feel that I feel the exact same way. I and I think part. I'm of always amazed is, at when people can do it. I'm oh, I'm always so impressed when people are can do phenomenal work from photographs. I, I really, it's to me, I think it's it's extremely difficult. Well, I think it, yeah, it, it just so it really, really pushes your understanding of of form, and um, yeah, but that that's the thing. That's exactly. I feel the same way. Is is why it's so much easier working from life is that you have all the information. Yeah. <laughs> and um, well, and, and, and do also, you do you so do you ever work? Um, do you ever work kind of more imaginatively or or um, inventive and or only from image references have you ever done that a little bit i do you find it's harder to i find it's harder to like know if it's good <laughs> do you ever like you yeah. when you work from life and i can tell but i feel like i can tell your work is phenomenal so you know when something's right yeah oh right uh, yeah that's a great yes yeah it's I know a pay, exactly you get the payoff about. right you get that like bam there it is <laughs> Yeah, and and that's why. Yeah, that's. <laughs> but when you work like imaginatively, or yeah. where you're trying to do some interpretation, I it's very hard to get to know that. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. That thing too, where you know you get this question a lot. Oh, well, how do you know when you're finished, or how do you know when to quit? Um, and I feel like working from life, I that question to me is pretty pretty easy to answer yeah, it's like totally. it's it's well when i have the same feeling looking at my at, at my painting as i do yeah. looking you know when i've accomplished when it feels yeah it feels as real as that thing i'm looking at up there that's exactly. that's basically yeah. uh i know i'm done um yeah but you don't get that yeah and they're working more imaginatively or from reference you don't that answer is is much less clear. Yeah, I struggled. Mm. I did. I did one. I did a painting um, eh, maybe a year ago um, that I developed totally from a sort of partial figure drawing that I had done uh, mm -hmm. with, with class at one point. And um, <clears throat> so just and I didn't even pull out. I just I invented everything, the setting and everything. And um I got a little bit of photo reference, but it wasn't it wasn't super helpful. Um, but yeah, that was really hard to know. Um, well, and I think also just just realizing how terrible I was at <laughs> making things up was <laughs> painful. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I can also, relate. Like, I can know, relate. To like, that. I'm like I'm trying to paint this little grassy spot here, and it's like, ugh. <laughs> it's like, how do I, and I think I went, I really, really deeply experienced that, like, 
how do I know when it's finished? Oh, I've gone too mm-hmm. far. Oh, dang, mm-hmm. I should have I should have stopped a long time ago. I was really, really experiencing that, which is, yeah, it's not something that, that I go through yeah. when when I get to set up a still life and control everything and, and, and do it from life. So it's tough, man. I, did I a, have a lot yeah. of admiration for people who do that. <laughs> I did a still life last year where um, there was part of it was a setup I had in front of me. Mm-hmm. And then I invented basically the background and a little bit of the foreground. And it was bizarre because the still life stuff, the mm-hmm. stuff physically in front of me yeah. is oh so gratifying. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when I finished it and I finally posted on social media and I, I literally posted I'm pulling the plug on this Mm. because had it been completely from life I like there's that exact moment that I there we go there it is it's good sign it done let's go this one was just I don't know Mm -hmm. this I this looks okay it looks okay but I can't tell like that gratifying like the knowing that it's right and I, I mean you can always you can always say like there is no such thing as right, but I think when you're, I don't know, it's just my nature to want to be right, <laughs> to, yeah. like to not have any any question that there's a, a solidity to the forms, that there's a actuality to the space, that you feel like you could reach your arm into that painting. Mm-hmm. It was like kind of there. I mean, it got. I I like the painting. I. I don't know if I would say I'd love the painting. I'd like the painting. Yeah. Uh, the painting got a really great response, but mm-hmm. it was, it's, I think it's one of those things that being, having the technical ability to reach in, in, in my opinion, what I would, I like being able to reach in almost an illusion quality. Mm-hmm. I love trompe l'oeil. Yeah. I like to play with illusion and the belief of the viewer. I love playing with that stuff. And so when I feel like I can't tell, it's it's very fru- it's frustrating. But there is a point at which I I don't beat a dead horse and I just say done and move yeah. on. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's important. Uh, I think for me um and it wasn't a big thing, but I, I did uh, in one of my recent still life sort of invented the uh, the background, but, but it wasn't I wasn't making uh, painting. So I was just playing with sort of the lighting of, of the uh, mm-hmm. kind of backdrop. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think the difficulty about that is that you don't have. The options then sort of become unlimited for something like that the the answer isn't like like you haven't already set it up and here's what it is and now i'm gonna go paint that like it's Mm -hmm. when you sort of go off script it's like well it could be this it could be that or uh, maybe it's a little bit more of that a little bit less of this that's the that's the difficult part i guess yeah is that now now there's not really an answer you have to kind of find it right find it and decide what that's going to be and have you ever heard of the, um, so I had an interesting conversation with a fellow artist the other day about, um, that there's two types of artists. There are egg layers and egg polishers. Mm-hmm. 
And so this was very fascinating to me. Have you heard of this? No. <laughs> so uh, her and I are egg layers. It's where you kind of conceive of an idea. You see it in your, you know exactly what it's going to be before you start. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of lay the egg and there you go. Right. So that's what we do. It's like you have, you set it up it, and it's, you know what it's going to look like and you, and, and you um, complete it and, and everything's kind of done internally or before it started. Right. Right. And then she talks about uh, egg polishers where um, I have a lot of friends who do this with their own artwork where they're, they find the painting, mm. um, you know, it's a little bit more expressionist. It's a little bit more, you know, they're, they're fine. You know, obviously working extremely representationally is a little maybe limiting for that. But, mm -hmm. you know, they're taking a composition and then they're moving things around and then they then they're putting a new, new layer on and then they're adding something and they're taking something out and mm -hmm. they're finding it yeah. through the process. Yeah. And so those are egg polishers. Mm -hmm. And. <laughs> she's like egg polishers always want to be egg layers and egg layers always want to be egg polishers. Oh, oh my God. So true. And so yeah, I'm trying so to do true. a little bit of egg polishing these days where I am and trying to maybe get a little bit more comfortable with uncertainty. But it, I think by nature I'm an egg layer mm -hmm. <laughs> where, um, that uncertain uncertainty principle and the, unlimited possibilities is almost overwhelming sometimes. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely more comfortable being an egg layer, although I have done a little bit of polishing. <laughs> it's fun though. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've done a little bit of polishing and I'm, I'm, th I'm actually considering polishing in the, the painting that I'm doing right now, just in the sense of like, I haven't quite decided if I want to add, something else to it i might and so i yeah yeah no i'm much more comfortable as a, as a layer for sure mm -hmm. but again it's getting out of that comfort zone and i mean just because you polish something doesn't mean it's going to be great but like it's worth stretching those muscles yeah yeah it, i've i think for the most part when i have polished it's i've been happy I've been happy that I polished. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I have I have very controlled polishing. <laughs> yeah, it never goes off. Um, it's never like. <laughs> it's certainly never anything uh, major. It's a minor. Um, <laughs> I might make this greenish blue instead of blue. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm gonna go wild today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Julie, it's been uh, a ton of fun. I, there's one thing that I want to ask you before we sign off here. And okay. I've never asked anybody this, but I'm. I, I, it's kind of. I think it's kind of fun. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Interesting. Uh, the, the question is, what, um, what living artist, what living artist work would you like to own if you don't oh. already? Oh, I, I can only say one person. <laughs> no, let's go. Uh, let's limit it at three. But uh, yeah. three. Okay, Will Wilson is definitely one oh, of them. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Sprick. All right. 
Mm. They have to be living. They have to be living? Mm. Yep, yep, <laughs> living. Oh, goodness. Um, I don't have a good third answer. I feel like there's like too many. Yeah, it's a tough one. I know. There's too many ties for the third place. <laughs> I'm just going to stick with two. Okay. Because those are my definites. Good choice. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, well, Will, Will, Will Wilson is somebody who I randomly came across in a search. I have like, like, like I said, I have no artistic background. I'm horrible at art history. So I'm just, re- you know, recently getting into like learning about artists mm-hmm. and even like the Italian movement and everything. And he's somebody who I came across whose work I immediately identified with in a mm-hmm. way. Yeah. He is, he can do anything, portraits, still life, trompoy, like landscapes. Yeah. He's just prolific beyond belief, mm-hmm. incredibly skilled, a really nice person. I did reach out to him at some point and ask him if, what works he had available. And I just definitely couldn't afford them apparently. Um, <laughs> But, you know, he started a conversation. He showed me pictures of his new studio. I was like, he, you know, just talking talking to me like a, ran, like a totally, totally normal random person. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was really neat that he's so, to me, so famous and so amazingly skilled and just one of the best artists today. Yeah. Um, that I, in, in my opinion, um, yeah, that's really interesting Interesting that you mentioned him because he's, he was sort of that same person for me. Like, because um, I went to, I, like I was studying illustration at the Academy of Art uh, University, my first experience uh, with real art training. Mm-hmm. And he showed at uh, John Pence Gallery yeah. in San Francisco. Yeah. And so I came across his work there. And also in, um, a, magazines were a lot bigger at that time, you know, yeah. er, early 2000s, right before everything exploded on the internet and stuff. Um, so I would I would come across his work, and he was he was one of those first people that 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 I was like, whoa, like people are still doing this, like this is possible. And yeah. So he he was <clears throat> yeah he was sort of my uh, my window into um or that first kind of nibble, like oh wait. Oh, who else is doing this? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's cool. Um, Actually, I have I have one more third person. Oh, good. I just remembered. Um, so there's an artist who I actually discovered through Instagram. His name's mm-hmm. Edward Povey. All right. And I, I know that um, I can't think of Edward the, Povey. The I think he's out of the UK, but he's somebody who um, every time the work kind of comes up in my feed, I'm amazed by it, and then when you kind of look into his background and what he makes art about and the symbolism and the he's he's really focused on composition and design which is something that's extremely important to me mm-hmm. and uh he's also an amazing poet and he writes poetry that goes along with his oh, works cool. and just really really beautiful um um interesting intriguing work cool cool yeah all right. Well, Julie, thanks so much. It's been uh, really fun talking. Um, let's see. What do you got? You have a show coming up, right, this summer? Hopefully. Okay. <laughs> yes. I usually, yeah, hopefully this summer. 
usually once a year I participate in a show with Bowersock Gallery in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Um, they, uh, I've been working with them for quite a few years and they're wonderful people. And so I'm supposed to be in a three woman show focused on still life. Cool. Uh, we're gonna be the bold women of still life. Oh, and, nice. um, so that's supposed to be happening opening in late July. So let's, mm. I'm going to keep my fingers yeah. crossed for that yeah. as well. Nice. And all over social media, you are Julie B creative, correct? Mm hmm. Awesome. Yes, because Julie, juliebeck.com was taken. Oh, who's the other Julie Beck? <laughs> well, I, well, do you want a quick story? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so when I first started on the internet, like years and years and years ago, juliebeck.com was taken by a writer, but she, or not a writer, some lawyer or something, and she never used the, um, mm never use the domain. So I would like stalk it and I would wait till it was expire and then she'd renew it. Uh, then out of nowhere, I got an email from another Julie Beck who was, <laughs> she, she's a writer for the Atlantic. Hmm. And so after I couldn't get juliebeck.com, I started looking for all the Julie Becks on social media and I friended all the Julie Becks I could find. <laughs> and then a Julie Beck emailed me out of nowhere from the Atlantic and she did a whole article on people named Julie Beck. And oh, I did a bunch, wow. I, I did a painting illustration for the article of all the Julie Becks that she could get to send her oh, pictures. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> That's really cool. So juliebeck.com was not taken, but that did lead me to all those other things. So yes, cool. I'm Julie B, Julie B Creative uh, as an online presence, yes. Awesome. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm sure everybody here listening knows uh, your work, but if you don't, go check her out, Julie B Creative. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was really enjoyable. Definitely. A, definitely. a nice break in the monotony of day after day of pandemic living. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Right. Well, Julie, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, we will talk to you down the road. All right. Great. Thanks. Bye. All right. Thanks again to Julie Beck for a really fun conversation. You know what to do now. Head over to iTunes, and I would love it if you would leave a review for this podcast, positive or negative. Glowing reviews are always fun to read. But if you want to bust my chops, that's fun, too. That's actually more fun. A little bit painful, but but uh, but fun. Um, so I would love it if you would do that. And, of course, give this podcast a rating of 13 and three-quarter stars. That would be lovely. Thank you guys. I will talk to you next time. Bye. I'm a motherfucking beast, right? Keep a three five seven in the Levi's when the beef fries. House gang hoodie is the disguise. Look in these eyes. Last thing you gon' see when the heat flies. Yo, is it be dumb or is it the city we from? Got us killing each other over these bread grubs. You fuck with me, it's gonna be cranberry and 151. That's murder backwards, red rubs. I done seen a nigga dumping with the pistol bullet coming out the window of a rental situation. Detrimental little kids are getting caught up in the middle when they kill it's accidental. That's why I'm keeping a pistol. Matter of fact, capture my enemy, kidnap him, slap him in the back of the infinity band down at the math, the identity is star spazzing like Charles Manson. No absent and innocent. Fight back, attack me with energy. Fight back to add to your injury. When I write raps, you have to have a bachelor's in chemistry. All masters and math to be in the actual vicinity to pass me a mentally to